Welcome to our December Empower Women podcast episode, Roadmap to Recalibration. This month, we were joined by Pamela Katz Ressler of Stress Resources, a firm specializing in building and sustaining resiliency in individuals and organizations through tools of connection, communication, and compassion. In this episode, Pamela discusses strategies for recalibration, grit versus resiliency, and why we need both, as well as lessons we've learned from the pandemic. More importantly, she gave us actionable steps to take to help us move forward and get back on track. Enjoy. So again, thank you so much for inviting me today. I'm really happy to be here. I know it's a busy time of year. Um, and for you, making the time today really speaks a lot about, I think, this topic. I, um, I appreciate talking about this. We're not out of the pandemic yet, um, but we're in a different place. And it's a landscape that none of us have navigated before. And I'm going to um, just put out there that perhaps we have some opportunities at this juncture to recalibrate ourselves. And I'll talk about what that means and to reinvent a bit of how we're going to meet the world both personally and professionally. So that's why I titled our discussion today. And I do want to have a discussion with you. So please feel free to uh, put something up in chat. We can, you can hold your questions to the end. I'll make sure that we leave some time to talk at the end, but whatever feels right for you. So I entitled my talk a roadmap. I don't know that this is a roadmap in ink right now, but these are some lessons learned that I came away with over the last almost three years now. And I'm sure you have some too. I think that they are generalizable to so many of us. Um, they may relate a little stronger to women than men, uh, but I think that they're pretty universal. So as I said, we hear a lot about um, about grit, about uh, resilience in, in, various, in various ways. But I want us to kind of open our minds a bit more to what recalibration might look like. And so I use this compass just to set our sights a little differently today. When we talk about grit, and grit is something that we hear a lot about in both um, the literature as well as lay literature, newspapers, et cetera. We are a gritty society. Um, we value uh, perseverance. We value um, pushing forward under very difficult situations <clears throat> or odds. And that's necessary. Typically, that's how we are trained, most of us in whatever profession we are, to be pretty gritty. Those are the ones who survive, so to speak. However, what the pandemic has taught us is grit alone does not help us be healthy and well, and actually it's not sustainable. Grit is our engine of perseverance and passion. 
but we need something else. And that is one of what I believe is one of our big lessons learned from the pandemic. Think of grit as your engine. And some of us are grittier than others. Some of us have a V8 and some of us are kind of chugging along on that four cylinder. That engine needs something else in the long-term. It is great in the short term. And what that extra piece is, is resilience. And the difference between grit and resilience is resilience is the ability to bend, change, adapt. Being resilient doesn't mean that you don't experience stress or upheaval, but think of resilience as the oil that keeps that engine of grit running smoothly. Without oil, without lubrication, that engine will seize. And that's when we see high levels of burnout, high levels of disengagement. The pandemic has amplified that. So resilience and grit are uh, similar, but they're not the same. When we're under long-term upheaval, long-term changes, we may need to change our ratio of grit to resilience. And that's something that we don't often talk about. And that as we change that ratio, we notice that maybe we're not using um, pushing through uh, in the same way. Perhaps we're noticing we need to pull back a little. That may be the resilience piece. But what we found over the last two plus years now is sometimes grit and resilience are not enough. And that's where I believe we need to start talking and thinking about and acting upon recalibration. When I use the term recalibration, I mean, it, I mean to use it as a verb. To recalibrate is to adjust repeatedly, taking those external factors into account, and then also allowing us to compare to past data, perhaps um, looking forward to future data. So recalibration is an assessment, reassessment, retooling in a way. And that's something that I believe the pandemic is giving us an opportunity to do. So these are some of my lessons learned as I reflected a bit over um, the past several months that things have, have changed and we're looking to navigate this new landscape in our workplaces, in our home life. We have been changed. We have been changed. Um, each one of us has been changed in, in some way. So let's dig into a few of the lessons learned, certainly from my perspective. I work in healthcare a great deal. And so I'm gonna pull out some of the examples that I've seen happen. Um, and more broadly in the business world, in other industries, change happens in times of crisis. 
not in times of ease or um, uh, of stability. Think about that. Think about your workplace, your home life. When change happens, it's generally because of a situation or a crisis happening. In healthcare, one of the things that happened during the pandemic that we have been pushing for for years, those of us in healthcare, has been telemedicine. And so if you um, had any appointments during the early stages of the pandemic and even now, you might have had some telemedicine visits. This was not available to those of us in Massachusetts and most other states, mainly because of a bureaucracy of policy and payment strategies. Um, what happened during the pandemic is emergency measures came into place and patients and physicians quickly had to pivot to um, a telehealth um, portal uh, platform. Now, I'm not saying this was easy, um, but it was an opportunity. Something interesting happened also in surveying those patients and physicians and nurse practitioners who did a lot of telemedicine during uh, the height of the pandemic. And I'm a member of the Consumer Council of Mass Health Quality Partners in Massachusetts. And we surveyed primary care physicians along with patients. And what was striking was patients were very satisfied, 80 plus percent with their encounters with their physicians with telemedicine. What were some of their reasoning? They were able to see their physician rather quickly. It was very targeted. They did not have to wait long in a waiting room. They didn't have to pay $25 to park their car in downtown Boston, um, et cetera, et cetera. They felt they were listened to um, during that time of the visit. Interestingly, less than a third of the primary care providers were satisfied. They felt they were being asked to do something they weren't comfortable with, which was meeting patients online. Um, they felt they didn't have the uh, office support necessary, et cetera. So telemedicine really shifted the way we're thinking. We're now back to talking about this if we're actually going to continue it, but I believe the genie's out of the bottle here. Um, and I don't know what your experiences are. I think it's very interesting that patients and families felt this change was positive in many ways, while the, um, the physicians and providers felt the opposite. One of the other things that we have learned in many different ways during the pandemic is health and illness are social. They are not individual, they are social. We found this as the elders were being isolated um, because of COVID. We found this as our children were learning at home and not in the classroom. Um, everyone's health and wellness suffered. So one of our big lessons, I believe, is how do we create a society, society 
where we're in community, where health and illness and wellness aren't individual, but are social, are part of our community. This goes back to what I mentioned in the beginning. Grit is what we're all trained in, but it's not sustainable without resilience. And this became very apparent as we saw high levels of burnout in many different fields from healthcare to um, education, to those in different industries, they were being asked to put forth a lot of grit, push that engine without um, really considering that resilience piece. Communities matter. I think we all became aware of this as we were more and more isolated after the two plus years. But communities can take the form of many different, um, different organizations, different things in our lives. They don't have to be um, communities where we live. So communities matter in both online situations and in-person situations. One of the things lessons learned is we saw a huge influx of creative ways to engage with each other online in very um, informal um, ways that hadn't been possible before. Some of you may be members of book clubs that went to Zoom um, or went to some online platform. This wouldn't have necessarily happened without a crisis, without um, ideas of innovation, without the technology to allow that to happen. Um, not that one is better than the other, but it gave us an opportunity to see how much communities matter. And we are really, as humans, pack animals. But I think that one of the biggest lessons learned from the pandemic is we were in the same storm and we continue to be in the same storm, but we're not in the same boat. We all had very different experiences depending on gender, economic status, type of jobs we had or still have, um, our age. And this was something that was amplified, magnified by the disparities that the pandemic um, shone a light on. So I think that this is something that we are going to continue to struggle with. This understanding that while we are in the same storm, we're not in the same boat. One of the others, other lessons learned, and we have significant research in the health field on this because we're seeing an incredibly high rate of especially nurses leaving the profession, being burnt out, um, that we have some research that shows empathy without compassion is very draining. Um, leading to burnout. And this is happening for those outside of the health profession too. 
So let me say a little bit more about that. So compassion is actually the action arm of empathy. Empathy is understanding, feeling uh, one uh, another's suffering. If we leave it there, that is absolutely draining. Compassion is the help that may come out of the empathy. And so one of the things that we started to see later in the pandemic were many initiatives that actually started with empathy, added that action arm of compassion into some social services, into some individual actions that allowed the, the giver and the receiver to feel heard and held. So empathy on itself without compassion is incredibly draining. I don't know if any of you are as old as I am and remember this gentleman, um, Angus MacGyver back in the 80s and 90s, the TV show, he could get out of many situations with a paper clip or something on hand. One of the things that I found so interesting during the pandemic, and again, I'll reiterate, we're not out of it, but we're in a different phase, were the MacGyvers in so many organizations. These are the innovators. These are the folks who think outside the box. Um, there were always MacGyvers during the pandemic. We just needed to allow them to uh, think and to be creative. Um, some of the incredible things that came out of MacGyvering in healthcare in the early stage of the pandemic, when people could not um, visit loved ones, especially in intensive care units. Um, in Brazil, a couple of um, nursing assistants came up with the idea to use rubber gloves, latex gloves in the, that were in the ICU that they had enough of, fill them with warm water and put them under the patient's hand to make it feel like someone was there when they couldn't be there. And these warm hands became the standard of care in the ICUs in this small hospital in Brazil just to help with that sense of isolation and sense of aloneness. That's MacGyvering a situation. I'm sure that you've come up with ways that you've MacGyvered during the pandemic. The stories I hear from teachers in schools on the creative ways that they found to engage young elementary students um, in work, uh, in their classroom, even at home on Zoom. Those were MacGyver situations. So think of how you MacGyvered something during the pandemic and think about who in your organization also did something innovative. Find the MacGyvers. One of the other outcomes I believe that 
became amplified during the pandemic is loneliness. And it wasn't only elders, although they were a large segment who were very isolated um, during the early stages of the pandemic. And we started to see some um, data that loneliness is a huge, um, a huge side effect um, in terms of our health. So um, the isolation that was necessary was a detriment and a side effect um, was uh, for many people um, an earlier death. But on the flip side, we found that connection, teaching elders how to use FaceTime, teaching elders and helping elders use an iPad, et cetera, created a connection that supported them and supported healing. This is one of my um, favorite lessons learned. Um, balance is never static. So this is um, gyroscope, if you've ever seen one. Um, and when you spin it, it topples from side to side, but it always writes itself. And often we think of, of balance as being like Lady Justice with um, the scales on either side and balance is when they are at the same level. But that's something that is not possible. Balance is never static, but balance is possible if we consider balance like writing ourselves with that gyroscope. So finally, when the status quo, as what happened during the pandemic for many years, um, is no longer working, and we found that in education, we found it in business, we found it in retail, um, certainly in healthcare. When the status quo is no longer working, recalibration becomes necessary. We can't just retool in the same way and put that back in. So what are some strategies? Um, this is how we start to build our roadmap. I'll start with saying the first place on your roadmap has to be yourself and start small. So you're not going to change everything. We are in a new landscape that we're navigating, but what is one thing that you could do today to start small? Um, it might be saying no to maybe some extra obligations that you're feeling around the holidays. It might be some self-compassion for yourself. It might be making yourself a cup of tea in the middle of the day. Something that is different than you have done before, starting small and beginning with yourself. The next thing on our roadmap would be to adjust that ratio of grit to resilience. The majority of us have been overusing our grit and have not changed that grit to resilience ratio in a very long time, if ever. So take a look at how much you're pushing forward in that 
grit, that non-sustainable over time perseverance. And could you add a little more lubrication, a little more resilience? The third thing is start to look at various communities that you might want to engage in. These may not be communities that even existed prior to the pandemic, but exist now. Or maybe you're finding that your priorities have shifted and you're interested in something else. Engage in communities. We know that there is a healthy effect um, for people who do engage beyond themselves. One of the things that became very apparent um, during the pandemic is a lack of trust, um, a lack of relationships, and how important these were. So for ourselves, maybe we can establish or build trust in relationships that existed prior to the pandemic, or maybe they're new relationships. But we found that building trust and relationship is exceedingly important. And perhaps we haven't put our priorities there in the past. As one who teaches mindfulness and, and self-care, this is my plug for being mindful. And what do we mean by being mindful? It means actually paying attention to this moment. And even if it's not the best moment, not spending a lot of time in the future and not ruminating a lot about the past. Now, that's easier said than done. Many times we're going between those domains, but we do know through research that even a few minutes of dropping into the present moment is a, is a form of self-care. And you can do that through the breath, you can do that through a creative outlet, um, but dropping into the moment um, seems to be a very helpful way of recalibrating ourselves and moving that ratio of grit to resilience. You may or may not know the term design thinking, which is a way of looking at problems um, with a very wide lens. And design thinking has become popular in healthcare and education. It started in the architecture and design world, but it really is a new way of considering problems. So thinking of outside of the box, um, this is referring back to that MacGyvering that I mentioned. That's really about design thinking. This is your Scrabble word for the day. You may or not, uh, not uh, know this word, I didn't at first, of sagacity, which is meaning your wisdom, your experience. What I love about this word is we all have come into and come out of um, the pandemic, our, our life right now, with our own wisdom, our own experiences, can we articulate those, our own sagacity in new ways? How do we take that learning out in new ways? And then finally, as I said, to recalibrate also means we must examine, we have to measure, assess, 
and reset. It's not a one-time static operation. So as we get farther um, uh, into thinking about this, I love this photo. That car was beautiful at some point, but it had too much grip and not enough resilience. And at this point, it really can't move. So grit plus resilience plus recalibration now can give us the best outcome, can create the healthiest and the most functional way of being, but it takes some work. Think about your ratio, think about those small changes to be made and think about how you're going to create your own roadmap um, of recalibration. So I'm gonna end here and open it for questions. Thank you, Pamela. First of all, this was really great. And I know that um, we all, I, I love your quote that we're in the same storm, but not in the same boat. So you're right, we've all had this shared experience, but under different, different circumstances for better or for worse. And there are definitely days where I feel more like that old rusted out bucket car than the F-150 car. So, you know, it's always to get to. Um, I, I guess one question that I would have when you work with uh, particularly clients individually, um, you know, I, I, I know we all, hopefully most of us can all recognize those times where the machine is just fluid and it's working and it's humming. Um, but when you work with folks, how often do you recommend that, you know, individuals just sort of step back pause and, and go through kind of a, a self-assessment or, you know, are there, are there exercises and um, I don't want to say workshops, but, you know, assignments, homework that you give to your clients to kind of work through and recognize when, you know, you are, or, you know, I really need to be recalibrated right now or, or I'm doing okay. And how often do you recommend that kind of assessment check-in? Yeah, um, there are a number of um, tools uh, depending on where they are um, in, in, in their journey. But um, we do an initial assessment. We kind of figure out what brought them there in the first place. Um, I have a lot of, of experience in integrating into their life, what they're doing. I think we need to understand where they're coming from and make it fit into their lifestyle. But I do use some assessment tools that are very helpful. Um, they usually uh, center around mindfulness, um, which again, isn't any woo-woo you know, out there thing. It really means paying attention to the present moment. And all of us say, oh yeah, I'm here, I'm present, blah, blah, blah. But are we really? We're generally thinking about what we're going to make for dinner or who said what in the last meeting. And very little of our time is spent actually noticing in the present moment. So some of the uh, one in particular assessment tool that I use is one that um, shines a light, a spotlight on day-to-day -day mindfulness. And then what we do is a few weeks later, a few months later, we revisit that. 
And generally that changes quite a bit over that length of time, depending on, on what um, skills we've been working with. It's pretty much skills-based, but there are these assessment tools. And I think that those are really helpful because you know, we can all say, yeah, I'm present, I'm here. But when we start to see that written down and what that actually means, there's a real shift of, oh yeah, I, I, you know, go on autopilot a lot. That's one of my big ones. You know, my, my kids are long, are grown long gone. And I sometimes find my car in the parking lot at the middle school where I haven't had kids in that middle school for 20 years. But where was my head? It didn't, my car didn't fly there, but somehow I was not present during that time. Has that ever happened to any of you guys where you go on autopilot and you go, oh my gosh, how did I even get here? Um, so to your, to your question, yes, there are tools. Yes, I start with where someone is individually. And I also make it very relevant to what their goal is. Um, I work with a lot of people who are having significant health issues and I work with them not with cure, but how do we work with what's still going right when there's an awful lot going wrong? And so newly diagnosed or not so newly diagnosed with chronic illness, um, one of my specialties is working with folks with chronic pain. And we use the same sort of idea of mindfulness, but in a different, a, a different format than what I described to you. Does that answer your question, Carrie? Yes, very helpful. Thank you. Other questions, stories that folks want to share about um, experience that you've had in your own recognition of, of needing to reset um, and, and recalibrate? I, I'll tell you a story, a success story. Um, in there has been an organization in um, the Boston area, um, the Greater Boston Knitting Guild, that's been around for a long, long time. They started in the Women's Industrial Union on Arlington Street, if any of you remember that. And um, they would meet um, once a month in the Trinity Church and they'd get together and bring speakers in and um, it was a, a source of, um, you know, friendship, kinship, um, enjoyment for, for many people. Um, well, when the COVID hit, um, that came, uh, kind of came to a screeching halt. But the group of women, and there's, I'm going to say 70-ish women, um, put their heads together and they said, well, we're going to have to figure this out if we wanted to continue. And what they figured out the best option would be would be to use Zoom. Um, and their way of communicating had to be beefed up. Um, and they figured out, you know, they figured out how to do a web page and do um, Zoom very actively. And um, the membership was about, you know, 125 to 150 people. 
Well, during this whole period of time, the membership now has grown to about 360 members. Uh, they're all over the area. It was very limited to the, you know, the metropolitan area. And now there's members in multiple countries, multiple states. And it was just this group of women who said, well, we're going to figure this out. We might fail or we might not, but we're going to fail if we don't do anything. And um, so, so you know, it, it worked out successfully. Oh, thank you so much, Emory. That's exactly what I was talking about. That came out of a time of crisis. And yep. what came out of that time of crisis was so powerful. You were no longer location-based, right? And, right. Um, you were able to, to create new connections. Somebody had to say, I guess I'll have to learn how to put a website up, right? Um, these, these pushing ourselves in new directions, this design thinking is very apparent there. There are also stories of groups that folded during the pandemic because they weren't thinking in that way. That's a fabulous story. Thank you, thank you. Because You're welcome. I think that that really, um, really shows us what you can do. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that the majority of the people in the guild were not 20 something techies, right? <laughs> um, so uh, when we think outside the box, when, we're pushed into change, there are two options. One is to retreat and say, forget it, I'm not doing anything. And the other is to push forward. And yes, you're right. You could fail, it could be different than it was, but look at what has come out of that. Look at that incredible opportunity that probably wouldn't have happened. I see, you know, not that, not to downplay the, terrible misfortunes that also came out of the pandemic. But there also were, and I believe will continue to be, opportunities that we wouldn't have pushed ourselves towards with, without it. Um, speaking from my background in healthcare, let me give you a couple of others historically based um, things that happened because of crisis in the Boston, they began in the Boston area. Um, I don't know, this is, I think the 70th anniversary of the Coconut Grove fire in Boston, um, which if you're not familiar with it, killed over 500 people. Um, the nightclub was in Bay Village and um, people were trapped and could not get out, it was over, Thanksgiving time and uh, there were, it was in the 40s, people were home on leave um, from the war, lots of college students. And so it was an incredible tragedy. I believe it's still the largest nightclub um, fire tragedy in the US. What came out of that were a couple of things. Number one, fire standards changed nationally because of that, um, egress and access. Um, number two, that 
the nightclub was down the street from Mass General Hospital. They had just been experimenting with starting this weird thing called blood banking um, that nobody really had done before that. People, if they were gonna get a transfusion, got it from somebody right there, right then. That spurred blood banking in the nation with Mass General really being the first one to do it in this huge way because of this tragedy that had happened and burn care changed overnight um, because of this incredible tragedy. So again, look at what came out of this crisis, this horrible tragedy. The other thing that I'll point to is um, in the Boston area, the New York area, um, large metropolitan areas, um, we had hospitals called lying in hospitals, which were maternity hospitals, um, pretty much specifically for people to deliver their babies and to stay there. The common thought at the time, and this was in the 20s and 30s, was it was not safe for moms to go home and to be up wandering around soon after birth. So people would stay for two to three weeks after a delivery. Think about that, guys. And they wouldn't get up out of bed. Um, so in Boston, we had the Boston Lying In where I worked. Um, and there was one bathroom on a floor of 50 people. Um, people didn't get up. What happened during the Second World War is there weren't any nurses to staff the hospital. And so guess what? They started experimenting with moms having to get up, use the bathroom, go take a shower, not a bed bath, and go home. Now, it wasn't like we do it now. It was, you know, seven days or four days sometimes. But guess what? Lower infection rate, um, happier moms, happier babies. It changed overnight. And it wasn't because this was something that people thought of as, wouldn't that be an interesting idea? It happened because of a crisis. There were no nurses to be able to staff the maternity hospitals anymore. So instead of having you know, a, a huge amount of nurses, almost one-to-one -one that patients would pay for, private duty, et cetera, it became two or three nurses on a whole floor. And there was no way that this could go on. So those are disparate crises, but see what the difference of what happened and somebody thinking outside the box and saying, why don't we try this? I mean, what's the worst that can happen, right? Um, so I think that this goes back to how crisis can push us to thinking outside the box in new ways. Now, we, didn't, we wouldn't have had the technology 10 years ago to be able to do the things that we did during the pandemic. And, and we have to give a nod to that. The kids, the elders, ourselves, we wouldn't have been able to do it, but we did. And so now what's next? Where can we um, think about these opportunities along with the tragedies? And maybe there's a way that, you know, if we encourage more design thinking, that is not in times of crisis, that is in times of an end user saying, hey, this doesn't work for me. How can I make it different? 
maybe as we encourage that, it will happen without it being a huge crisis. But unfortunately, it's uncomfortable to go to the unknown, right? Unless we're kind of pushed there. But maybe we've learned that it's okay to be a little uncomfortable with outcomes that, um, that we can see. And so the more we write about these things, the more we share our experiences, I think perhaps we'll create a different landscape. And that's what I'm hoping for, that we won't forget and we won't go back to trying to do everything like we did in 2019, which let's be honest, wasn't working that well. It might, we might wanna think about how do we reinvent? How do we go beyond? Um, we're not gonna be able to go back to our lives in 2019. And so how do we make it different? And I, I'm encouraged and I'm excited and I'm not a spring chicken doing this. And I hope that um, you all have a sense of excitement going forward versus a sense of trying to push ourselves back. Start with yourself. And this is, um, sometimes that's the hardest place to start. Um, one of the things that I will leave you with is if you do go to my website, there are a whole bunch of really short little exercises as you were asking, Carrie, that are, are short little meditation exercises. I worked with the Mass Nurses Association during the pandemic to create some very short meditations for nurses who were on the floor for incredible hours and they wanted something that was five minutes or less that they could do. So there's a whole series and they're called, um, you'll see it with nurses, but they're for everyone. And they're all free to download. And so go poke around, do something for yourself first before you um, try to change others. We hope you enjoyed this episode. To listen to past podcast episodes and to see our calendar of upcoming events, visit our website, empower-women.com. You are also invited to join us on January 10th for the first Empower Women event of 2023, Overcoming Obstacles to Healthy Eating. Hightower Advisors LLC is an SEC-registered investment advisor. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities LLC, member FINRA and SIPC. Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. This material is not intended or written to provide and should not be relied upon or used as a substitute for tax or legal advice. Information contained herein does not consider an individual's or entity-specific circumstances or applicable governing law, which may vary from jurisdiction to jurisdiction and be subject to change. Clients are urged to consult with their tax or legal advisor for related questions.